Hey, welcome to the Africa Podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On today's episode, we have an interview with Ruba Katrib, the curator from MoMA PS1. We talk about two of her exhibitions that she curated, the one about Simone Fatal and the one about the art that reflects the histories of the Gulf Wars, plural. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's pretty heavy. I highly recommend that you go over to our YouTube page as well. Subscribe there and see this full conversation so that you can see a lot of the visuals that we're talking about. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining another episode of the Africa Podcast. Our special guest is uh, Ruba Katrib, who is a curator at MoMA PS1 in New York. At MoMA PS1, she's curated exhibitions such as Greater New York, um, Theater of Operations, The Gulf War is 1991 to 2011, co-curated with Peter Ely, the retrospective of Simone Fatal in 2019, as well as many, many others. And from 2012 to 2018, she was a curator at the Sculpture Center in New York, where she curated over 20 solo and group exhibitions. Previously, she was the associate curator at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Miami from 2007 to 2012, where she organized several solo and group exhibitions. Ruba has also co-curated the Site Santa Fe 2018 Biennial Casa Tomada, along with Jose Luis Blondet and Candice Hopkins. Ruba, welcome to Africa Conversations. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mikey. Yeah, it's a, it's a thrill to have you. Um, it's fun talking to curators. I like talking to curators because it's not clear to me how you approach your job. It's not clear to me the moment at which a curator decides, oh, this is what I want to do. So when did you decide, like, oh, I want to be a curator? That's not something I think 12-year-olds sort of think of. No, and I did not know what a curator was, I think, until I became a curator. So I I went to art school, actually. And, you know, coming from an immigrant family in the U.S., it's like there's like three careers (laughs) that you can have. And no one was doing art or knew about art or interested in, in, in art in my family. But I was exposed to art and through, through my grandparents who ended up living in Queens. And so I'd come visit them and we would go, you know, I'd go to MoMA or go to the Whitney. But all I knew was there are artists out there and I want to be in this creative world. And so I should become an artist. So I went to art school. And curating was starting to become like more of a thing when I was in art school, but still not, not on people's radar, I think, as it is now. Yeah. And so I realized that I was actually more interested in other people's work than my own work. And, you know, what do you do um, if you want to be in this field? And, And it was really through a series of accidents or encounters that led me to become a curator and to go to school for curating after undergrad. Do you feel like the primary role of a curator is to just make sense of things? I think that's a good way of putting it. And it's it's really making sense of things. It's being an interlocutor between different arenas that may not always be aligned. So you're dealing with you know, the institution where you're working, even if you're an independent curator, you have to work, in a, you know, you're working in a place, there's a physical location, generally, communities, audiences, the artist, internal dynamics, external dynamics. So you're really moving between a lot of different people and constituents 
um, wants, desires, demands, and and you're trying to make sense of it and advocate for for the best route forward for everybody. Yeah, I want to focus. I told you this before before um, starting the call. I want to focus on two of the sort of shows and uh, subsequent books that you've been a part of. One that focuses on the work of Simone Fatal and the other which focuses on, uh, whose name is um, Theater of Operations, The Gulf War is 1991 to 2011. Um, let's start talking a little bit about Simone. What was your first interaction with Simone Fatal's work? I'd seen, I started seeing her sculptures in a few galleries, you know, a few at a time, small shows. She has a gallery in New York, um, Coffin Repetto, that operates out of New York and Italy. So I saw um, some of her works there and I just was really intrigued by them. And, you know, I knew a little bit of who she was, of course, but I, you know, didn't know about this artwork. And so, I was curious what else there was, you know, what Simon had been showing really. Um, and also she had a show in Sharjah. So she was, you know, around, but there was, it, her work piqued my curiosity. I was just like, what is this woman doing? Has she just started making these? <laughs> like, what else is there? And, you know, I knew her publishing house, Post Apollo Press. Mm -hmm. And it really was a conversation. You know, I reached out to Simone. I met with her. And I just asked her if she had more work. And she was like, oh yeah, I have a lot more work. Yes. And, and, you know, it was, it's interesting because she had not had an institutional solo show in the US or really anywhere except for um, in Sharjah. But, and her, her exhibition history was spotty, right? So she'd have like some shows here and some galleries, but there was not like a, a consistent, I would say exhibition history and what I realized was that this is a woman who's been working for decades as an artist, since the 60s as an artist, and has an incredible body of work that she's built up. And we're seeing these sort of like snippets of it as a more emerging artist. And in doing the show at the museum, it was like, you know, do we do a small show to sort of introduce these works? But when I realized what she had, it had to be a retrospective. And so, yeah. you know, having a retrospective after not really even having many shows at all. So you said something interesting right now. You just said, of course, I was aware of her. Do you think most casual, I mean, not to say that you're a casual um, fa fan or lover of the arts of the Arab world, but do you feel like most people who say, oh, I love art from the Arab world or 20th century art from the Arab world, do you feel like they know who this person is? Uh, probably, maybe not. You know, I think what I what I realized is that Simone had some name recognition to me and I knew a little bit of her work. Yeah. And her partner, of course, um, is Etel Adnan, who sadly just passed. Yeah. Um, and Etel's, you know, career was, you know, launched while she was still, you know, in her late 80s, you know, and, and um, Simone's younger, but, you know, she's been in the arts, but they lived in the U.S. for a long time. So I think that's something that I see that happens a lot in diaspora, too, which is, um, in particular with the Arab world, is that artists are in a, you know, moving around or moving into different communities. And so it's really hard to sustain that that feeling of connection or belonging to artist communities, or it becomes kind of dated, right? It's like who you knew in the 60s in, in Beirut, yeah. like, a lot of really amazing people are seventies. And of course, Simone still goes back to Beirut all the time, but um, I mean, less now, but there's, there's, there's sort of that kind of idea of connection or continuity is, is a little bit more complicated. They were living in um, California for a long time and, 
you know, um, living in Paris then, and then, you know, still now living in Paris. And, and so I think that perhaps affected some of the, the sustained focus on Simone's work. But I can tell you that, you know, in doing the show at the opening, um, Simone was, you know, came to the opening, saw the show. She really gave me carte blanche as a curator, which was such an amazing uh, and daunting yeah. task. But all her friends came. She knows a million people. You know, she's super, super yeah. um, social person and and um, has so many people respecting and admiring her, particularly through her work as a literary publisher. But they saw the show and they uh, had no idea that Simone had done all of this. So I think that was really incredible. It was like a revelation for even her closer, closest friends. What, what I, I've heard you say that before. What was her response? Was her response, was she kind of like befuddled? Like, I can't believe so many people love my work. Or was she like, yeah, of course it's amazing. Uh, maybe a little bit of both, but definitely like, <laughs> of course it's amazing. And like, why? <laughs> what, you know, like, well, what, do you, what do you guys have in your storage units? <laughs> I know it was, I mean, they, and so, you know, a lot of the comments I heard where people were like, you know, I've, see, I've seen Simone's work, like it's in the house, it's over here, I've seen the show, but they had no idea, like all of it, like that was, that was my task, right? And I was, the, the most brilliant and fun part of it was like decades worth of work, how to make sense of it, how to introduce it, how to show her, her ways of thinking, how to, to tell the story. And, and so that was something that I really, had to deal with so you could see like any one of these ceramics like somewhere in someone's house you're like that's amazing but it's actually like the world that she's created that i wanted to put forward and and all of these pieces play a part in this world this huge world that she's created based on you know literary figures mythology um different archetypes and and so that's sort of how i devised of the, yeah. the relation was really like emphasizing that that part of her looking like really historically um you know into the deep you know into the past but also of course like thinking of the everyday and, and combining that and and so that was what what my challenge was and there were some pieces I was like I have I must have this piece and she was like why do you want that you know like it's not like a major piece right and I'm like this idea of what a major piece or that has to be big or that yeah like what are the criteria when yeah. I and I'm seeing actually like this, the cloud sculpture she made, you know, she's like, why do you want the sculpture, this ceramic piece of clouds? And I was like, it's perfect. It's like, you're building this environment, this world, and it plays a part in this. And I think that's, that's actually like what the task of the show was. And I'm really feel very lucky that I was able to do that with her. Um, okay. So I want to transition somewhat abruptly to the other show that I'd love to really sort of dive into, Theater of Operations, The Gulf Wars, 1991 to 2011. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I've heard you talk about this and, and really sort of talk about how in many ways, this is kind of like the forgotten, the forgotten war. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at least I feel like American, the American con conscience uh, and the American story, I don't feel like people really talk about uh, the wars of the 90s, and in particular, the Gulf Wars. Why did you decide to, to look into this and to try to understand the world through this prism? Well, this is a show, and I told Simone that I was formulating this and working on her show. She was like, why are you doing this to yourself? 
Yeah. Why were you? <laughs> I think, you know, it's again, looking at the cracks and this is not really a crack because it's a huge fissure it's and a, it's a crevice. Same. It's a crevice and it's in it, this, these wars, um, which are still ongoing, of course, you know, the, yeah. the weights are just the formalities of, of when the U S government you did the, Yeah. Yes. Or they're saying like, it starts now, it ends now. Like, what does that even mean? Just even having those dates, does it, that's something we would kind of want to, uh, or uh, like underscore as like <clears throat> a sort of absurdity too. But, um, this is a crevice, as you say, and something that was not, I felt adequately acknowledged as American history. And so the show happened, you know, here at PS1, I'm in the office at PS1 in Queens. And we're, you know, so of course, it's a site specific show, it's a show specific to the US context. You know, I was impacted with the first Gulf War in 1991. I was very young, but um, all the stereotypes and, and sort of around Arabs and Muslims that were emerging then, you know, hit me, my family pretty hard um, living in the US. And so that kind of, you know, rhetoric that had started before 1991, but like really amplified there, got even more intense with September 11th, et cetera. Like this was something that I, I feel like defines American culture. If you go onto, let's say like Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, just search Iraq war, mm -hmm. and you're gonna get hundreds of documentaries about it how many hollywood movies you know it's just like yeah. novels there's a culture industry around these wars that's pretty much 100 percent from a western perspective or or like which i'm just saying here to mean like a sort of euro-american perspective but you know there's also a lot of projects in the art world looking at the legacy of the gulf war the iraq war no one ever included an iraqi participant so there's a um, October Journal did an issue in 2008, I think, all about the Iraq war. And you have all these like theorists and philosophers and art historians talking about it. They don't even mention an Iraqi artist, right? So this idea of like, this is the place in the past, which is part of the justification for war and destruction anyway. Yeah. Um, a cultural erasure that's happening of contemporary culture. Everyone's really interested in antiquities when it comes to Iraq, right? Like this is an easy thing or even the Arab world in general, like everyone's, this is an easier yeah, thing. It's digestible. Exactly. Like no one wants to talk about, you know, filmmakers, writers of the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, like musicians, like, like there's so much culture that um, is of now and that it's being lost and displaced. And, um, and so there's basically, you know, yeah, the October Journal, Journal doesn't mention an Iraqi artist. They only have Zainab Bahrani is the only Iraqi contributor to that journal. So, and, and that persists today, right? So this is a show that was intended to, you know, create, bring in Iraqi artists and cultural producers with Western artists and cultural producers in a show that moved chronologically. So you see what's yeah. happening, you know, in the nineties with, art, you know, artists responding. Before, before you keep on going, yeah. I just want to say that I'm going to show some of the images uh, on the screen. Some of them are quite alarming as, as, uh, as you would imagine visually. So if, if we have any uh, sensitive viewers, please be advised, uh, but keep on, keep on going. Yes. Yeah, so that's, thank you for that. And I, I think it's, it's really, you know, this was something that was really important in, in, in talking about a com complex perspectives, the difference of responding from like here and there and, and not that, that, you know, 
again, not to sort of value one or over the other, but, you know, looking at also, but trying to complicate responses, right? Like, yeah. So how do you have like a really well-known Western artist making a work again, you know, all, most of all of the artists making work, we're making anti-war work, right? And then you have artists working within Iraq, part of the diaspora, and their perspectives are very different. So the idea was to really create like a more complex view of like these times and who was who was making work and who wasn't. There was one section that was really looking at the entire 90s, the period of sanctions against Iraq. And you only really have Iraqi artists making work because do Western, or were artists, you know, in the Euro-American yeah. area, part, part of the diaspora, like thinking about sanctions? No, it's, you know, it's more, like what was visible, what was made visible, what wasn't, and um, can I ask about that visibility question yeah. for a second? Because going back to going back to the question I asked at the beginning of like what is your role as a curator and this idea of trying to make sense of something. What struck me about this show and sort of the way it was put together was that it's as much about the theater as it is about the operations. I had never really put that together that. The Iraq War, starting in '91, with the with the beginning of uh, with the sort of the beginning of 24-hour news media and and CNN, that this was a theatrical event, a live theatrical event, and I, I kind of forgot that. I knew it some some part of my in my brain was that this was a Hollywood show because it was sort of theatrical and live streaming basically for the first time. It seemed to drown out any of the other voices that weren't plugged into cable, <laughs> cable television. But maybe I maybe I came came away with the wrong message. But my question to you is: A, did I come wrong uh, away with the wrong message? Was that one of the key messages that you were trying to get across? And if it was, it was it something that you knew before going into this? Were you aware of all these artists? Were you aware of that conclusion? Uh, yes, because I think, you know, the, the first time this 24-hour news cycle is with the Gulf War. News media as we know it now was invented there. And with every new technology, there's new conflicts, right? So it's the first time there's a missile attached to a rocket. So you're getting this view from the missile, this idea of like the, the empty desert, just explode, you know, explosions happening and these like abandoned sites. And for the Gulf War, it was all about new technology and this kind of precise war that would um, reduce the amount of unnecessary casualties, et cetera. Of course, this is all garbage. And, you know, it's the first time there's depleted uranium used and, you know, that deplete, depleted uranium is still there. It's going to be there for millennia. And so there's an environmental impact. There's, there's such a huge impact and it's all about, you know, a human capacity for understanding what's happening. And I think the media, technology, art, culture plays a role in how people can understand what's happening and the impact of what's happening. And I think that's the battleground. And I think, um, you know, for, you know, there's for an, an art's role in, in sort of changing that narrative and I, or bringing attention to certain things. And for, for this show, this is one of the few shows that I've done where it's like not about taste or like what I like as a curator. And like, I think that was also really hard for people to understand. Like this is a historic show. There's a lot of art, works that I don't necessarily agree with or like, um, you know, but I'm, we put it out there for, for viewers to, to see it and see it together and see the conflicts and conversations between the works that were created, um, you know, where there was affinities, where there was discord, where there were, you know, um, 
inabilities to comprehend what was going on, where there was a you know more emotive response, like all of that together was really key. Like the more clinical approach that a lot of artists had, the more emotive approach that artists that were directly impacted were having, and the value system that's put on those kinds of work, right? More conceptually oriented work that's more like analytical is somehow more <laughs> advanced than perhaps like someone like Dia, who's like working really emotively from from a place of connection, you know, making incredible works. But yeah, how do you put some, you know, for us, it was very interesting to look at Jean-Luc Malin and Dia Elazawi, like all together at the same time, making such different works, but grappling with their own perception and and um, experience and, and trying to say something and, and how they were doing that. And what was a challenge though with this exhibition was realizing that so many people do not know about these wars yeah um you know even like staff at the museum who are really young definitely don't know about the gulf war and some don't even know about the iraq war and we had a lot of student groups coming they also you know all of this was news to them yeah. a lot of it or they faintly heard of it and that was also really shocking to me that like iraq and and, and you know the iraq war and even the gulf war a little bit have become these these tropes in the popular imagination. It's in video games, it's like everything in, in American culture, but there's really a lack of information and understanding. So that became a, a, you know, something we really had to do, which was sort of even explain again, like where is Iraq? Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, get like getting onto the more complex level, but then being able to be like, allowing people to understand um, how do you understand these really complex issues and then get the basic information across too without like seemingly seeming overly didactic or like I don't know that, that was really tough for me because I, I you know definitely knew a lot more or you know I've been thinking about this and researching it but um, but a lot of the audiences a lot of these student groups you know this was fascinating for them to learn about and it's not taught in school you know it's interesting like the Vietnam War is this this um, American-led disaster that um, is, you know, perhaps part of of history, but American history. But I think what's interesting is like Iraq, the Iraq War, and even the Afghanistan War. You know, it's something in the news, but it's not actually like being taught. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, okay, I'm going to do this uh, quick question, quick Q&A before we open up to everybody. Um, Rubo, what are you reading or watching right now? I don't really watch television. Sure. Fair. Watch, but I do watch Succession. Uh, <laughs> I, you're like, but obviously. <laughs> but I'm kind of disappointed in the last season. Um, and I'm reading, I've kind of been reading a lot of Jen, Dennis Johnson books right now, um, just sort of for pleasure, which is not related to any research and about to dig into a big chunk of research um, for an upcoming show. Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Maybe I'll just go for Atel Adnan in the past. Sure. I think, but I would just love to see her like, you know, in the seventies, what was she doing? How was yeah. she living her life? And she's such a, she was such an incredible thinker and like, you know, just how did she, how did she do it? Cool. Okay. We got two questions so far. The first one comes from Shahade. Hi, Ruba. 
Hi, it's Shade. How are you? Good. It's funny. We've known each other for over a decade, and it's the first time I'm listening to you talk to talk about your work um, focused on the Middle East. So this was super fun. Um, so Ruba, as you were kind of like digging into the Iraq exhibition and all the research you did, um, what I thought was interesting is I'd love to hear if there, if you sensed when you started doing your research, was there a turning point after the 91 war and that era, the Gulf War? Because it would have been right around when the Iran-Iraq war, which was eight years. Mm-hmm. And to this day, half of the artists you and I both know, and we've been to their exhibitions in New York and everywhere else, um, you know how much it's influenced the, you know, the millennials of Iran and their work that's still being produced in mm-hmm. New York and beyond. Um, the Iran-Iraq war is so alive and present in their work. I've mm-hmm. never really, and, and, and what you made me think of is like, I've never thought about the lens from the other angle, meaning the Iraqi angle. So what kind of an influence was there there? Um, did it impact the art world there and what was produced during that time? Or was it just kind of just like a steady stream? And then all, all of a sudden in the nineties, you saw this shift in growth and change in the way that the artists were interpreting things and creating art and that's why you focus on this era yeah i think that's um you know the iran iraq war like a lot of the artists in the show actually some of them were um conscripted into that war and someone like dia actually left iraq because um you know he was going to have to serve in the military um and so i think that's definitely present within a lot of the artist's experience and i think um, it was interesting looking at artists writing, you know, in the 50s or 60s that were saying, or actually, sorry, it was um, one of the artists writing in, right at the start of the Iran-Iraq war who was like completely like shocked that war would be coming to the region. And I'm blanking on, I was in one of the defaults here, so I'm actually blanking on who it was, but it was really incredible to read that and see like, you know, now a, a place that is so associated with war, the kind of enormous shock that something like this would be happening, right? because only in Europe has there been like war, like World War II, et cetera. So mm. um, that was that was really interesting to, to read. And, um, you know, I think it definitely impacted a lot of artists. But um, yeah, for the sake of the show, I kind of had to just keep it as, even though it's a really big view, like cap it at, started at 1990. Amazing. Um, Ruba, thanks so much for doing this. I, I feel like I learned uh, so much about, about the world from your work. And so um, thanks for giving us some of your time. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Um, we're going to have events as always, um, almost every day. So uh, go to the website, check that all that stuff out. This will go up on the podcast feed in a few days. So um, when it's up there, share it with some friends who may have missed today's talk and see you next time. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash afikra. There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to afikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. 
You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks. Thanks.